believe that the Holy Spirit wants to uh, just do something fresh and something new in each and every life. And here at the church, we usually have an agenda or a an order of service, but sometimes it's good to mix things up, keep you awake, turn to the person next to you, say, you're going to stay awake this morning. <laughs> All right, look with me to Luke chapter 4 and John chapter 4. Amen. Lord, I believe you're my healer. Amen. I believe it. I believe you're my healer. You know, there's a saying that time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. There's many well-meaning people who say that, and I think they use that as a way to try to comfort or encourage someone, but I don't believe that that is true. Time does not necessarily heal all wounds. I know of some people who are still bitter, still angry, Still hateful after 10, 20, 30 years of experiencing a hurt. I do not believe time heals all wounds. But I believe time with the healer. Oh, I don't know if you're here this morning. Time with the healer heals all wounds. And we're going to look in the scriptures. And we're going to receive encouragement. Because the reality of it is, just like a physical wound that is not cleaned not properly bandaged and set, will not spiritual wounds of the heart and of the spirit that are not cleansed of bitterness, that are not purified of anger, that are not sterilized of unforgiveness, will not heal. Time can actually become an enemy. Time could actually warp people's perspectives. And a person who has been hurt Actually, by time, the passing of time, their perspective can become even worse and, and they could just become so bitter and uh, just so hopeless in life. That's why the scriptures tell us over and over, Jesus tells us to deal with things quickly. He said, if you have something against your, your neighbor or have something or someone has ought against you, go to them, do it quickly, deal with it, move on, move on with it, don't get stuck in it. So we want to look at that this morning. I'm glad that the scriptures have a lot to say about God being a healer. Amen? Let's, let's look at John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Verses 1 to 9. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In those lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. To the pool and stirred up the water, that when whoever, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man who was there, had an infirmity 38 years. Now when Jesus saw him lying there, and that knew that he had been in that condition a long time, how many of you know 38 years is a long time? No matter how you look at it. Um, and then Jesus, the Bible says that he, he said to the man, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the water 
into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Then Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. I want to look at Jesus in the ministry of God in the lives of these people and, and most practically in our lives. You know, the word of God is written historically to show us, you know, the person, the works, the plans of God, but also for us to receive encouragement and understanding and how, of how God works, but of how God worked back then, but of how he works today. Now, I want to look at a couple of points quickly. I want to look at this passage of scripture and I want to see how we could experience healing in our life. Does anybody need healing in their life? Now listen, we are all in need of healing to one degree or another. If you live on planet Earth long enough, you will have hurts, you will have scars, you will deal with dysfunction, you will deal with brokenness. May it, be, it might be spiritually, it might be emotional, it might be physical, but the reality of, it, the, the, the truth of it is, we all need God's healing touch. In this passage of scripture, I see two points, or I see two lessons that we can learn to cultivate um, an atmosphere, or to cultivate a way for us to receive the healing grace of God. If we look in this passage of scripture, the Bible tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, and there was a pool that was called Bethesda. That word Bethesda in the original language in the, uh, of Hebrew uh, would mean house of mercy, Aren't you glad that there is a house of mercy? Aren't you glad that there is a place of God's mercy in our lives, God's ministry in our lives? But the Bible tells us that there was a great multitude of sick people there. There was blind, lame, paralyzed people, people who were waiting for the stirring of the water. I believe God wants to stir the water metaphorically speaking. I believe God wants to cause in this place there to be a flow of his grace and of his glory to powerfully change people's lives. I believe that. I've, I've seen it. I've, we've experienced it. And there's so much more, especially in the hour that we're living in. The world is going crazy. The church needs to experience what God has so that we can be a burning and a shining light in a dark and crazy world. I believe that the church, this is the church's finest hour. You know, I've talked with pastors and we talk about the stress. We talk about what it's like to pastor during a pandemic, pastor during a lot of what's going on in our world. And it's one of the most difficult and challenging times to pastor. But you know what? The reality of it is not only for pastors, but for all of us, for all Christians, God has sovereignly placed us in this time period for a purpose. We were not born in the 16th century or the 17th century. We were born in this time period. And God has a purpose for our lives. Amen? Amen. And so two things I want to look at. For, for God to work, for God's spirit to uh, be manifested, and for God to do some special things, two things. An atmosphere needs to be created. An atmosphere is needed to experience healing. The Bible tells us in verse 4, there was a supernatural phenomenon that would take place. 
an angel would come down and stir the waters, and whoever got in that pool first, they were automatically, they were instantaneously healed. So you and I, to experience that, there needs to be an atmosphere that is conducive for God to work. You and I need to create an atmosphere. How many of you know that, that people can carry an atmosphere? Have you ever been around people that uh, they walk into the room and the atmosphere changes? It could be for good or not so good. But the reality of it is, in our lives and in our homes and in our church, there can be an atmosphere. I want there to be an atmosphere in this church when people come in, they sense the love of God. When people come in, they sense the joy of God. They sense the excitement of God. And that is an atmosphere that we, that we can help foster. We can help uh, cultivate. Amen? Amen? The Bible tells us that one way we cu uh, cultivate an atmosphere is through praise and worship. The reason why we do praise and worship on a Sunday morning at the beginning of the service is not to fill in a, a time slot. It's not just what we do. It's the protocol of heaven. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. And that's what we do. And that's the protocol of heaven. And the Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Praise is powerful. Worship is powerful. It's not just something that we do. It's something that we do to welcome the presence of Almighty God because God is enthroned in our praise and in our worship. Can you say amen? amen. Atmosphere does affect things. Why do you think in, in sports that there's what's called the home field advantage? It's because the Fans are the majority, or the, uh, the home team has the majority of the fans by far in the seats. And then there's an excitement, there's a cheering on. There is something that they do, they'll put up on the screen, make some noise. Maybe we need to do that sometimes. Make some noise in the house of God. Give some praise in the house of God. Give some worship. And it's critical. For instance, now don't get nervous anybody. I'm not calling you up here. But if I call somebody up here and I said to you, I want you to come up and I want, you to, I want you to just share something God has done in your life. And you could come up here very excited. You could come up here with, with something, something dramatic or something powerful that's happened in your life. And if you stand up here and you look out at the crowd and people are on their phones, looking at their watch, sleeping. Hello? What is that going to do to you? That is going to short circuit what you're sharing, even as powerful it is, as it is. But on the other hand, if you come up here and you begin to, to testify and everybody's excited, their eyes are bright and, and, and they're responsive and they're saying amen and they're with you, what does that do? That draws out of you. Does anybody want to try it? I'm telling you, it makes a difference. The atmosphere. The atmosphere makes a difference. In my, my backyard, I have five identical bushes, arborvitaes. I love arborvitaes. They're a natural fence. Over the years, we're looking, for a, we're looking for a house. Even if we go by a yard and we see this wide open yard, I say, they need a nice row of arborvitaes. I'm like addicted to arborvitaes. But anyway, 
In my backyard, these five arborvitae bushes, these are the, the, the green ones that grow up. They grow so tall. They're, they're just great. So anyway, there's five of them. I didn't plant them. We bought them when we bought the house. They were already there. Five of the same bushes, same height, same soil in my backyard. But do you know that around, if you go from one bush from, from left to right, each bush is taller than the other. They were planted at the same time in the same soil, but each one is larger and grow and fuller as it goes around the yard. Do you want to know why? It's because of the atmosphere. It's because of the angle of the sun and the length of the time that the bushes receive direct sunlight that has caused them to grow. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that the atmosphere in our life is critical to God working. If you hang out with people that are constantly critical and negative, what is that going to do for you? It's not going to be healthy. It's going to get you in that mindset. If you hang around with small-minded people, you're going to have a small-minded mentality. But when you get around people who have a big vision, big mentality, big-mindedness, it changes you. Why? Because the atmosphere, what you feed on, what you receive. And see, for you and I to receive healing from God, we've got to create an atmosphere that is conducive for God to work. God will walk in when there's praise and worship. And God's presence will walk out, if you will. He inhabits the praises of his people. Conversely, the spirit is grieved when we have bitterness and we have unforgiveness. The spirit, the Bible says, is grieved. That tells me the Holy Spirit is not an it. It is a person. You can't grieve a piece of wood or a, or a, or a block or something. You, you, you grieve someone who has emotions and feelings. And the Holy Spirit, when he comes to church, would you just, just give that person a nod? I saw a couple people nodding out on me. Amen. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cause the anointing to break down right now. Short, short circuit. You see, it is so important. The Bible says the waters were being stirred. You see, when God begins to move, you need to flow and you need to get in line with what God is doing. When the Spirit of the Lord moves in my heart, I will dance like David danced. When the Spirit of the Lord moves in my heart, I will love like Jesus loved. When the Spirit of the Lord moves in my heart, I'll preach like Peter preached. When two or three are gathered together, Jesus said, I am in the midst. God's presence is here. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom. God help us. God wants to break through in, in the church. God wants to break through in our life. God wants to minister his healing. There's got to be an atmosphere that God can work in. Yes. Secondly, an attitude is needed to experience healing. Not only an atmosphere, but an attitude. Look what Jesus said to this man. He said, do you want to be made well? Now that seems like a foolish question, doesn't it? Here are these sick, lame, hurting, broken people waiting for the stirring of the water. And here's this one man, 38 years in the same condition, and Jesus says to him, Jesus asked this question, do you want to be made well? They would have had to beg for money to live on, to survive, to get by. Understand that in that day, that 
lame people, sick people, had no uh, SSI, no, no government programs, no social uh, uh, security, uh, safety net. They had, to, they had to beg. And you know what? When, when you live that mentality, you, you beg all your life, you get a mentality of a beggar. And that became their identity. Acts chapter 3, the Bible says there was a lame man that was laid, laid at the gate uh, right as they entered into the temple area. And, and, and he was known. He was laid there every day, the Bible says. In the gospel, there was blind Bartimaeus, and they knew him by name because that's, that's who he was. That was his identity. He was known. They were known um, uh, as beggars, and, and that was their livelihood. And that was the only way they can survive was by begging. You know, there are some people in this church that have some real serious sickness, some cancer. You know what? I'm so glad that they're not identified by that. You know what they're known by? They're known for their praise. They're known for their worship. They're known for their faith. Now, uh, the joke's told, so this isn't true. I want you to get this. You're not going to find this in First Hezekiah. No such book of the Bible, by the way. So this is just the story. Jesus met three friends at a restaurant. One was blind, and Jesus healed the blind man. The other was deaf. And so when the deaf man had seen that this, his friend was healed, his faith rose up, and Jesus touched him, and he was healed. The third man had a serious back problem that was hunched over and twisted because he was in a severe car accident. He was hit from behind. And as Jesus was about to touch him and heal him, the man shouted, no, Jesus, don't. Don't heal me. I'm on a case, and I'm about to settle for hundreds of thousands of dollars. You see, this man's identity was in his sickness. You see, people can get so comfortable in their dysfunction in their condition, in their failure, that they're identified by it. And you know what? They're comfortable. At least they, they, know, they know how to beg. They know how to live in that mentality. And that's why Jesus was asking the question, do you want to be made whole? Think about that. He asked that question. It wasn't a foolish question. It was very, very insightful. It was very penetrating. It got to the core of the issue. And sometimes you and I could be in a predicament. We could be in a mindset. We could be in a lifestyle. And we live this for so long. It becomes our identity. People know us in a certain way. And you know what? People love to categorize us by our, life, by our mistakes, by our past. And, and, and if we're not careful, we can let people put things on us. But I want you to know the devil is a liar. That's not God's intention. You are made in the image of God. And God wants you to live out your faith, even though you go through some struggles, even though there are some setbacks. But let me tell you, you know what? The Bible says it's, it's by faith that we overcome. We have need of faith and perseverance. And then we will receive the promises. Can you say amen? amen? Christ doesn't want us to be defined by our failure, by our upbringing, by our past. You see, this man, he began uh, to whine. He began, you can almost sense it in the scriptures. Oh, I have no one to put me into the pool. When the water's stirred, somebody else gets ahead of me. You don't know how difficult it is. You don't know what I'm going through. Poor me, woe is me. And you know what? 
God doesn't want us to be defined by our past, by our upbringing. We all have a past. We all have had some failures. We've all had some setbacks. We've all had some things in our life that didn't go the way we thought they would go. But God still brings beauty out of ashes. Come on, God still brings, brings a song of joy out of a spirit of mourning. Can you say amen? You might have had a marriage that failed, but it doesn't mean that you won't find true love again. You might have had a drug addiction, but that doesn't mean that you have to live your life as an addict. You have, might have had a financial setback, but that doesn't mean that you, one day you won't have your own home. Matter of fact, the Bible goes on to say, listen, if you're weak, don't define yourself as weak. Matter of fact, the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong. And if you're sick, the Bible said, don't define yourself by that sickness, but let the sick say, I am healed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let the bound say, I am free. Hallelujah. The devil is a liar this morning. I want you to understand that. The, 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 the enemy will form a weapon against you, but the Bible says it will not prosper. The Bible talks about that the enemy will come in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. This man was in this condition for 38 years. He had been begging. His life was one of brokenness. And then Jesus finally just said, listen, take up your bed and walk. I'm glad that the Lord saw right through his excuses. The Lord sees right through our rationalizations and our justifications. And he still speaks a word of hope, a word of healing, a word of deliverance. I'm reminded of, of a man in the scriptures called Mephibosheth. If you're having a child, you need a new name, there's a good one. Mephibosheth. I wonder what you'd call him for short. He was in the time of David. And this man was actually a grandson of King Saul. And as a child, through no fault of his own, through no doing of his own, there was an attendant, a nurse that was carrying him as they fled. Bible says she dropped him. And he became lame in both of his feet. Not only that, but he ended up living in a place that had the name called Lodabar. And that word in the original language of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, that meant no pasture. It meant a barren place. Another translation said there was no word, there was nothing. Think about where he lived. Think about where he was at. He was lame in both of his feet. He was living in a barren place. Until King David asked the question, who can I show the kindness of God to? Is there yet someone of the household of Saul that I can show the kindness of God? Think if, if David, being a mere man who, who had a heart after God, but he was still a man, if he could show such kindness, how much more does Jesus show kindness to you and I? How much more does Jesus care about us this morning? He knows everything about us. Turn to the person next to you and say, he knows everything about you. Now that's a scary thought. But he still loves us. I know that to be true because the Bible says it. The Bible says he knows the very thoughts in our mind before we even think them. He even has our very hairs numbered. He knows how many hairs you have on your head and he also knows how many of you, how many you lost. And then he also knows how many hair on your head that are not yours. He knows it all. 
Who can I show the kindness of God to? And, he, and David was told of one of a descendant of Saul. And usually in Bible days, or in history actually, any descendants of a previous king were wiped out lest they lay claim to the throne. So, so David has Mephibosheth called. And Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth yeah, it's easy for me to say. <laughs> He's called. And when he comes to David's palace, he throws himself down and he says, I'm a dead dog. But you know what David said? Don't call yourself that. From now on, you're going to eat at my table like one of my sons. In all the days of his life, Mephibosheth sat at the king's table, ate from his table, and was considered as one of his sons. That's what God does. That's what God does. Would you stand together with me this morning? We're going to pray, then we're going to take time to just end with some announcements, some exciting things happening this week, and we'll give to God. But I do want to pray for you. Anybody need prayer this morning? Do you know it's so important to know the truth of God's word? Amen? That's what you're hearing. I'm not preaching or teaching my thoughts. I'm preaching and teaching what God says. You see, because what you believe... What you truly believe affects how you live and what you experience. If you believe a lie, you will act, you will live as though it was true because you believe the lie. How many of you remember when you were young, your parents, some adult told you, if you eat, you're at the beach, you can't go into the water for a half hour. We had a pool all our lives. We couldn't go into the pool because you'll get a cramp and you'll, you'll seize up in the water and you'll drown. All that so many times that it became a truth to us. And it robbed us of a half hour of fun. Right? I mean, that's small, but in comparison to the lies people believe today. The lies they believe that you're a failure. You know, you could fail, but your failure doesn't have to define you. Your failure doesn't have to be fatal. You could be defined by a lot of things, but we want to be defined by what God says. That I'm forgiven. That I'm restored. That I have a future. That I have a hope. No matter what people say, you've got to stay away from negative people. You've got to stay away from critical people. Come on, don't look around who the, you're going to give away who the critical people are. Negative people. Some people still talking about, they left the church 20 years ago, they're still talking about why they left. Get over it and move on. Come on, let's grow up. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Church blessed them for 20 years. One person offended them and it's the worst place in the world now. The devil is a liar. You could tell them that too, amen. Give them something to really be offended about. Amen. But let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. Let the sick say I am healed. Because of what the Lord has done. We're going to believe the truth today. We're going to believe what God has said in his word. That by his stripes I am healed. I don't know about you, but I still need healing in my heart. In my mind. God's still making me whole. I haven't arrived, like Paul said, but I press on towards the mark. I forget those things which are behind, and I press on.
Come on, is there anybody willing to press on this morning? If that's you, I want you to move out of your seat quickly. We're going to pray for you, but I want you to move out of your seat. I want you to come to, to the front here, and I want you to say, I need healing. I need healing in my mind, in my heart, in my body, in my spirit. Listen, we all do. We live in a fallen world. We all have dysfunction. We're all dealing with stuff. But you know what? The wisest person is the one who realizes that. Amen? A fool would just put it off. I'm good. Oh, and blame it on everybody else. No, we say this morning, we're standing in the need of prayer. We're standing in the need of God's grace. And this morning, Lord, you're my healer. Can we sing that again? Then we're going to pray. I'm going to pray one prayer. You're going to reach out to God as we sing. And God's grace and God's healing is going to flow in your life today. In Jesus' name. You hold-